0: Welcome to the Agro Church Podcast. I'm Associate Pastor Taylor DeSoto. And I'm Lead Pastor Dane Johansson. So today we're going to do our usual introduction, and then we're going to be addressing an event that happened on Facebook uh, and a popular podcast. So Dane, what are you reading?
1: Well, this year I've been uh, reading, finishing up Joel Beeke's book. Dr. Beeke came out with a book on preaching, reformed preaching, put out mm-hmm. by Crossway. Yeah. Um, this is something I've been looking forward to f- for a long time. Um, and having listened to many of Joel B. Keys' um, homiletics lectures, um, I knew what was going to be in the pipeline, and this is not disappointing me at all. You've read you've read a lot of it too, as well. Yeah. But I'm so, trying yeah. to just go back through and and go chapter by chapter. So I've been working on that daily, and then also a book that Joel B. Key himself said made him weep in the chapter on the the piety of the preacher, and it's the power mm-hmm. of the pulpit by Gardner Spring. Um, yeah. This is a Banner of Truth reprint. You can, you can find it in soft cover uh, by Solid Ground Christian Books. So I've been right. working on those. And then at night, um, I'm reading through George Whitfield's uh, biography. So I'm on volume one. It's the one by Ar- Arnold Delamore. It's not hmm. out by Banner of Truth. Um, just an amazing read. So I'm excited to get through this as well. And then obviously there's other little... Things we're reading all the time, trying to still plug away through Calvin, a couple of Puritan books that yep. I'm working on, and then all of my commentaries for First John and also Sermon on the Mount because uh, we're going to be going through that after First John. So, other than that,
0: nice. Uh, so, I'm working through Calvin as well. Um, I'm on a reading plan mm-hmm. for Calvin in a year, uh, which has been just amazing. I'm also going through Uh, Manual of Theology by John Dagg, Uh, he kind of advertises it as uh, systematic for the layperson, Mm. Um, and I'm walking through it with uh, one of our members at Agro's Church, Mm. and that's been a huge blessing so far. I'm also trying to make it through Moeller's post-Reformation dogmatics, uh, probably in two years. I want to spend uh, more than a year in Moller. And then this year, uh, along with Calvin, I'm going through Turretin's uh, Institutes of Elanctic Theology. Um, I spent a lot of time with Bovink last year, and so I'm just going to kind of keep working through a theologian a year. And I think my uh, my theologian that I spend some time with this year is going to be Turretin, uh, which will be really uh, a blessing to interact with him. And then finally, this is a book that I that I already read. I actually read it in one sitting. Uh, uh, it's called How to Understand and Apply the New Testament by Andrew David Naselli. And, you know, th- this this book was, uh, it's PR, you know, so you expect some good stuff from it, but honestly, it, it really doesn't give you much of anything. Um, the, the, the chapter on um, genre is pretty good. Uh, the chapter on grammar is pretty good, but basically it, it tries to do too much. Uh, it, tr- it tries to be a... a, a really um, surface-level Greek grammar. It tries to do more theology than you'd expect. Uh, And and my actual note here is that um, it tries to be too much at once. It is a mediocre book on grammar, preaching, exegesis, and theology. Some chapters will be good to reference from time to time. Uh, So I I, I have a lot of notes in here uh, as far as what I might reference going forward. But what I was really kind of disappointed with uh, this this comes highly recommended. I mean, pretty much every single um, either president or teacher of New Testament from almost every single major uh, uh, seminary endorses this book, but they spend two chapters basically slamming the KJV for no reason. And even and the NKJV. <laughs> and the NKJV. Don't forget that one. Um, and even go so far as to say that, that the message paraphrase uh, is more beneficial than the NKJV and the KJV because it says... That that don't even use the NKJV or KJV for your private devotion,
1: but the message is fine for that. Um, yeah, isn't that a direct quote? He said, "I can't think of any good reason why you would retain it in your private study or preaching."
0: Yes, uh, and so, so the fact that he spends two chapters and and just to in a book on exegesis, he's making he, he's doing a lot of theology. He's doing uh, a lot of slamming of the KJV, and I just felt it inappropriate if. You know, I'm trying to learn how to actually uh, exegete the scriptures. Why are you talking to me about um, why you don't like the KJV? Uh, and he also uh, equates uh, preferring the, tr- uh, the traditional text, the Textus Receptus, to um, KJV-onlyism, which is just a, it's a straw man. Um, we hold the TR as, as our preferred Greek text, and we are not KJV-onlyists. Uh, so it, it was really a kind of a bummer because you, you start with a genre and then you just slams the KJV for two chapters, more or less, and uh, and it just seemed quite inappropriate for a book on exegesis. So I don't actually recommend it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is probably the first book that I've read that came from PR and uh, Reformation Heritage Books, I think is actually where I bought this mm-hmm. one from, um, that I I cannot to anyone recommend it. Uh, the 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 chapter on um, word studies was basically D. A. Carson's book on exegetical fallacies. Um, I mean, really, if you want to buy a book um, buy a, that that's like this, buy D. A. Carson and buy a systematic theology, buy a book on biblical theology, uh, and you're probably getting the same content. Um, and then buy Greek grammar. You're 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 not getting <clears throat> much more than you would get from those in here. But it just it's just very be better to just read them on their. It would it, it, it would just be better to read them in their full extent and, and it, it it was very surprising to me that that so many seminaries recommended this book, so many scholars recommend this book. Uh it was just quite crazy. It was quite crazy to be so disappointed in it. And so that kind of leads us into our main discussion tonight. Um on the dividing line. Uh yesterday I believed and and, and I believe and mm-hmm. kind of throughout the last several years um dr james white has made the has asked the question why are reformed men holding to the traditional text as god's word and we thought we might try to answer that tonight uh that
1: actually kind of blew up on facebook too
0: yeah so there was a there there was a facebook thread that started basically the question was who are the greatest apologists of all time and uh, someone mentioned, well, you have to mention James White, and I, I agree basically on every front except for the text of Scripture. I think that, like in my own personal life, Doctor White's benefited me mm-hmm. immensely, mm-hmm. Uh, especially in regards to Mormon apologetics, Roman Catholic apologetics. Uh, I cannot tell you how great of a blessing the dividing line has
1: been to me personally over the years. Um, oh. But I, but we just we disagree. Yeah. Um, yeah. Issues of gender and race and all that stuff that's coming mm-hmm. up. He's great on that. Um, Romans nine. He's I mean, he wrote the book on Romans nine. You know, so yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we couldn't. This is not a slam against Doctor White. We've benefited immensely from his work and will continue to. Yeah, um, we've got many of his books and and listen. We both listened to his entire church uh, history uh, lectures he was giving at PRBC and and I mean it's it's good stuff. So yeah.
0: So so by no means uh, are we trying to slam Doctor White. I, I still listen to the dividing line and uh, still benefit from it. <laughs> Uh, so, so this conversation comes up on Facebook and uh, someone mentions uh, Dr. White, which I agree. He's he's one of the most significant apologists of this century, I think. Uh, and someone made a comment on how he kind of changes his methodology when it comes to text. And I, I can't disagree necessarily mm-hmm. because he's presuppositional in everywhere but the text. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But he addressed it on the dividing line and asks this question, why he can't understand why uh, men are holding to the, the, he calls it the ecclesiastical text position. And uh, so, so, Dane. Why reformed men are doing, yeah, why, yeah, why are reformed men doing this? So, so, Dane, why are you, why do you hold to the, the, the traditional text position?
1: Well, because I've benefited from James White for, for so many years, that takes me all the way back thinking about the TR, wrestling with the TR, wrestling with textual mm. variants, and wrestling with uh, King james onlyism. Mm. Um, I mean, probably one of the first things I saw of him was his interactions with Sam Gipp and stuff online and yep. on YouTube and stuff. And not only did I find it somewhat humorous, I also found it very educational and, and edifying. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I, I've been thinking about this issue for a long time. I, there's been a few different times in my life where I've been ready to commit to a TR position, and I just couldn't intellectually do it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It was more of just like a pride thing. I didn't want to be l- like lumped in with like King James only and all this kind of stuff. And right. I just, I, I liked dealing with variants and all that kind of stuff. I thought <laughs> you had to like throw that out in order to hold the TR position. Right. And I also just never heard it articulated well until I really started listening to Jeff Riddle a couple of years ago and listening to his word magazines where he deals extensively with these things. Yeah. And so... For me, you know, a few years back when I was, I think it was 2014, 15, when I was really reading Karl Barth a lot, and our last podcast, podcast number seven, um, we did a whole thing on Karl Barth and Van Til. And when I was going through that whole phase, obviously I I was reading Greek and stuff then as well, and I held to a critical text position. I had the NA28 and read it every day and and interacted with it, Um, and... His Bart's views on scripture, that scripture itself, the words are not the word of God. It's what happens to you mm. through this uh, crisis event of, of God speaking to you through these, uh, these texts. He, he describes it as um, the remnants of revelation, the yeah. uh, artifact of revelation. Right. Um, and not in the way James White uses it. He uses that as uh, right. to the canon, which I like it that way. But how Bart yeah. used it was a, a bomb. Basically, like a bombshell goes off, and the crater that's left, the the bomb exploding itself was the revelation event. Right. The crater is what's left of it. So it, it testifies to the revelation. Right. It testifies to the event, but it is not itself revelation. And so the, the actually the idea of the t- uh, critical text position that you're constantly trying to find the text, and it's constantly changing, not even in just in the text themselves, but in the translations from them. Yep. Um, the, it, it depreciates the the value of the words, the words of God, yep. the words of scripture. And I found it very easy to to, once kind of understanding where Bart was going, and starting to kind of think he makes sense, transitioning over to just, you know, well see, you know, the Bible hasn't been preserved anywhere. It's not the Bible that we need to be worried about. It's the Word of God in Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God. Yeah. That we need to be worried about. So it, it it constantly it's it's fact that it's constantly changing and that you don't know what it's gonna be this year versus next year. I mean the uh Editio Critica Maior is still coming out. It's not by any means finished and there's gonna be lots more changes. What about yourself? Yeah, so
0: I I, I have spent the last probably two, three years really becoming reformed. Uh, I thought I was reformed eight years ago, <laughs> and I, I was certainly not. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's been a huge process for me to to really become a confessional reformed Christian. Mm. Uh, and so when Dayton and I started talking about this, uh, he, he kind of mentions in passing, hey, I think that I, I believe this about the text of scripture, and, and and it took me maybe 10 minutes of kind of having an, a crisis because I have more goatskin-iest fees than, than I can count. Not a Bardian crisis. Not a Bardian crisis, <laughs> no. A material brand. A material crisis. <laughs> and, and also, I had just gotten my NA-28 bound bounding goatskin.
1: Uh, so By John I, Kite and he did a great job. He did a great job. He did an
0: amazing job. I, <laughs> I still, still I st- use. It. <laughs> I still use it. Uh, uh, but the the it, it was it was crazy to me because I had spent so much time talking about how the Pericope Ultra wasn't scripture, mm-hmm. and how the longer ending of Mark wasn't scripture, and how the Kama Johanneum wasn't scripture. And I, I, I was just thinking back on all of those times that I had just very confidently said those things because the people that I trusted said those mm-hmm. things. And when I started looking into kind of the the value of those claims, the actual evidence behind those claims, I realized uh, that that there was really only uh, one thing that was different between the the critical text and the TR, besides almost every passage, um, was the methodology, mm. right? The evidence, the data that we have, you know, uh, people people kind of talk about how it's significant the papyri are to text criticism, and and I wasn't buying it. Um, because you can go into the back of your NA28 and look at all 127 of the papyri um, that were available as of 2012 and they they really you can't put together a whole bible with them mm-hmm. uh, and and so I I kind of had a crisis myself I was like if and, and Dane um, very graciously pointed out to me uh, hey what's what's the reading here do you know and there was a couple of passages where I was like I, d- I don't know because there was they were equally attested to in the critical text or just different um like mm. in second peter 3:10 and i was like i don't think i can believe that god's word is preserved if if it's like this if this is the nature of the text if i get to pick which variant belongs in the main text if uh if if the the translators of the esv will refuse to translate a particular word from the na28 um that's a problem and that that was that was that was part of my process of really becoming uh, traditional text advocate uh, was, was that um, I realized I don't think I could hold to God's pres- pres- preservation if I held to a critical text position. And and the last thing that was holding me up was the fact I didn't want to read the KJV uh, or the MEV or the Geneva Bible um, because I was used to my ESV and my NASV and my Holman Christian Standard. I think it's just the Christian Standard Bible now. Yeah. But, um, but I wanted to read what I was familiar with. Uh, and and so it, it took about a month, but I, I actually really enjoy the translations that are that are built upon the the, the traditional text. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of my process, kind of coming to a, a crisis where I, I didn't think that that
1: God had preserved His word if this was the nature of the Greek text. Well, what was the? It was the one in uh, Revelation. It was King of Saints, King of Ages, or King of Nations. That was that was the uh, the big one. Yeah, because um, you. You couldn't pick a reading,
0: right? And, and they don't pick a reading, and, and yeah, and, it could either be ages or nations.
1: Right. And, and if this ever yeah. comes across your ears, Doctor White, we, I, I, assume, I think we yeah. have heard you say that you're not sure which reading it is either. Um, and that that was part of what kind of got us thinking as well on that that we're like right. wait a minute what's going if on? if if
0: dr white can't pick a reading there then i, I, I don't think I, I, <laughs> don't, I don't think I'm qualified to pick a reading there right. uh and, and and so that was that was a really big variant kind of wrestling through and and it, it I think like for those of you that are watching that maybe are going through the same kind of process uh I, I kind of built this argument out if if even one word is uncertain in god's in God's uh scriptures uh then I don't think that it's Preserved, I think if we can't come to a, a reading in even one place of Scripture, uh, if no one knows what it says, then how is that preserved? Hmm. Um, and and that was really the question I had asked myself, and I and I came to the conclusion this is not a a consistent argument. Um, yeah. This is not a consistent argument, and, and so we kind of get to a place where in this podcast we're going to talk about maybe some of the the reasons why reformed men are and women are moving towards a traditional text position. Mm. Uh, and so the first one is that... quite a big
1: movement, and it's, yeah, a, it's, it's a actually one. shaking up people on the critical text side. I think yeah. even Dr. White has mentioned that he he finds it disturbing. He said that so many uh, people are moving, Reform people, even Reform Baptists especially, is what he was addressing, yeah. are moving to a, a, a traditional text or TR, ecclesiastical text, confessional text right. position. And, and I think that that there, there's, a, there's a reason for that. Uh,
0: it, it, it's it 's one of those situations where when it, when enough people are starting to do it, I, I think you have to kind of leave behind some of the uh, poor argumentation and try to understand what actually is going on here yeah. um, some of the, Some of the the best and strongest arguments that i 've seen and the reason why people believe in the critical text, if you talk on a kind of popular level. Um, a lot Facebook of the fa- fa- Facebook reformed reformed Facebook theology. There's yeah. maybe 12 people on Facebook that are reformed, but <laughs> uh, the 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 at the popular level, um, the, the strongest apologetic is basically attacking or basically conflating the TR advocate position with KJV onlyism. Trust me, I've debated the KJV onlyists. They are a, a difficult crowd, and uh, I've brought two people out of it now. I think, um, which is cool, but. We're not KJV-onlyists, so they, they use, they conflate the two positions, mm-hmm. and then they go after, uh, they use, they use um, appeals to authority, they go uh, after, ad, they use ad hominem att- attacks against Erasmus and Baza and Stephanus and, and the Scrivener, and, Scrivener uh, um, and, and they also, uh, uh, what else do they do? Um, and Oh, they, they basically uh, use stories or anecdotes that are mm-hmm. unsighted, this is how the argumentation is kind of going at a popular level. Mm. Uh, and so all you have to do is point that out to people and they're like, oh, wait, I don't think I actually have an argument for the critical text. Mm. Uh, and, and that's part of the reason why a lot of people are flocking. So I wanted to talk. And
1: at the end of the day, yeah. you'll watch, you'll no. watch them. They, they, can, they just fall back on authority. Which right. is okay, right. like everyone's got to have an authority, right. you know what I mean? But you, you get them to that place where then they can't really back up a lot what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Then they just appeal to authority. Right. Um, but I guess the question is, who's your authority? And like, yeah. Right,
0: right. So you you will hear the line like all all text critics agree with me on this one.
1: Yeah, all modern text critics.
0: all modern text critics agree with me on this one, and 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 that claim is kind of troubling because there's really only a, a handful of text critics that are believing. That are actually even trusted in the community and, evangelical, and yeah. evangelical, you know, you've got your Dan, your Dan Wallace, David Allen Black, um, but but they're they're not part of the teams that are putting your Bible together. Mm. Uh, they they might have a voice in the community, but I don't think Bart Ehrman respects them, and he's got a really big voice in the community, much bigger, voice. a much much bigger voice in the community. And so when you appeal to DC Parker, DC Parker, uh, <laughs> and when when you when you appeal to these authorities uh you are you're, you're you're appealing to people that do not believe that god's word has been preserved you're appealing to people who are functioning off a methodology that that is ain't that
1: is i mean as old as the modern method mm. um and, and m- many if not most of them are liberal scholars mm-hmm. um deny important aspects of you know core doctrines of the christian faith yeah um and and even atheists you know and Bart Ehrman, who's one of the greatest critics of Christianity and does tons of damage to Christianity, he's got a big say in text criticism. So I I think,
0: read that D.C. Parker
1: quote. uh, Yeah, D.C. Parker, who is very, very respected, he's on the NA28 uh, editors. He's one of the editors, and there's, uh, I think, seven or eight of them. You can go on the, uh, I think it's academicbible.com, which is the German Bible Society's um, website in English, and it has a list of the people who were editors Mm -hmm. for the NA28 and thus are still working on all those things. So DC Parker was on there and uh, this is a quote from him. The text is changing, meaning the text of scripture, the New Testament. Every time that I make an edition of the Greek New Testament, or anybody does, we change the wording. We are maybe trying to get back to the oldest possible form, but paradoxically, we are creating a new one. Every translation is different. Every reading is different. And although there's been a tradition in parts of Protestant Christianity to say there is a definitive single form of the text, like we would say, the fact is you can never find it. There is never, ever a final form of the text. And even back in 2009 when James, Dr. James White did his debate with Bart Ehrman uh, even back then, Bart Ehrman himself said, we basically are tinkering with the text now. D.C. Parker and all the guys mm. that are putting together your NA-28 are not trying to find the original text. They don't, they've they given up on mm. the original reading of the autograph. They're not trying to seek that. Uh, uh, maybe a new form, but it, he's honest, and it's true. Yep. I mean, I have, I have the NA-25, 26, 27, 28. I've got a, a few different editions of the UBS. I've got a bunch of different stuff on my shelves, um, and they all are different. They have different readings and each one is its own unique
0: text. Well, and you kind of went through a panic when we were, we we decided when we felt, when we planted Agro's church that we were going to use the ESV and you from the pulpit were terrified because there were different versions of ESVs in our congregation. You know, Mm -hmm. if you approach a text that's
1: different from one ESV to another, um, that can cause a crisis in faith. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I mean, I, yeah, preaching through first John and stuff where you're, especially in expository preaching and. Lexio Continua preaching, when you're going verse by verse and passage by passage, you want to stick with one Bible translation, and you want the people within your congregation to have one Bible translation. And though on the spine of the Bibles, they all said ESV, there was an ESV 2007, there was a bunch of ESV 2011s, and I was preaching from the 2016. You had the 2016 as well. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, no matter how much I thought about, well, they're all ESV, no, they're not. There's lots of differences between all those texts, translational differences, um, and even you know some of the text, textual critical stuff that came through was then reflected in those translations, right. and and that was that was disconcerting to me that you know we can all have ESVs in this church and none of the ESVs are the same. Yep, and and so
0: when it comes to appealing to authority, I think that that's kind of a dangerous play. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're talking about textual criticism, because the people, I mean, sure, you, you have your, your Dan Wallace's and you have your James White's who are believers that are that are uh, involved in the scholarship, but they're not involved in the putting together of your Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, the actual weight of what they have to say isn't really considered when it comes to what text makes it in and what text make, um, don't make it in. Um, really, I, I think that that who has the most say in this whole discussion is what buy what what's the what's the what's the Bible that people will buy. Um, mm-hmm. For example, I mean, there's a reason that Second Peter three ten the OOC was not put in. Yeah. Um, you know they know what they know what line not to cross. I think when because it that would
1: have completely switched the meaning of that text. Yeah. It would have gone from a positive statement to a negative statement.
0: Which goes to show that I mean a lot of translational the whole it's an industry. And uh, you see this when it, when a, when a company wants to put out a commentary or a Bible, a study Bible, they, they literally, you know, create a new translation so they can, they don't have to buy the rights from another company. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a big part to do with this whole process. Mm-hmm. But um, our, our, our first reason why I think that most, that, that not most, that would be interesting. Um, why a handful at this point of men are switching over to the TR advocate position is because the appeals to authority are, are very dangerous appeals. Um, this The second major thing that that is going on right now is that there there's i mean since the eighteen hundreds really uh the the people who put together the the uh what was later called the the t r the received text mm-hmm. um they came under fire mm. and you still see this uh in the eighteen hundreds the early eighteen hundreds a lot of uh stories about Erasmus kind of started popping up um out of thin air really and uh De Young goes into this. Yeah, yeah. De Young. Uh, this this is a quote. You know, Metzger is aware of De Young. Doctor White's aware of De Young, um, mm-hmm. and and he said that a lot of these stories about Erasmus that you hear about him rushing to print and that he didn't have a manuscript. There was no manuscripts available without or with the cameo andam, and so one was one was made. He didn't have the end of Revelation. But you look into the primary sources, Erasmus himself said that his copy of Re- Revelation was missing but a few words, and and there was someone, uh, the printers themselves actually had uh, the manuscript that uh, had all the words in it, and, and they checked his, his work and they said, yeah, there wasn't a word missing or different. Um, you have the rush to print, which M. A. Screech, Erasmian scholar, says is is a complete myth. It, it never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you have all sorts of rash th- wager. The, ra- the rash, the, the rash wager. Yeah. Um, D. Young he goes into it and says, "Yeah, it didn't happen."
1: That that he said his first two editions of Erasmus did not have the comma Johanneum First John right. five seven. Right. And the rash wager story is that Erasmus said, "If if one can be produced, I'll put it in. If you can show me manuscript, just one that has it." I'll put it in, and that then in uh, England, a, a manuscript suddenly appeared that you know it had it, had it. Yeah. Um, and then therefore that meant you know he put it in um, when there's actually no evidence they ever made such a rash wager. There's no evidence that the, the, there was a manuscript made to order essentially for this very right. specific thing.
0: So so they go they go after Erasmus. They they say that you know, but with Beza's conjectural emendation, and you you can you can actually look at the primary source, Beza says himself that he added, he restored the text from an old and reliable manuscript. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, uh, scholars like, like Dr. White just kind of brush that off and say, well, no one's ever translated it that way before. Um, I mean, we all have access to the 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 Latin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're familiar with the Latin, go ahead and, and see what you can come up with. See if yeah, you can come I, up I with... I have
1: the PDF on my computer yeah. and I printed off those passages. When Dr. Riddle, I think it's in... Word Magazine 115, where he first dealt with this, yeah. um, textual emendation, and, uh, he said he was still working on translating the Latin, and then I went and I, I did my own translation of the Latin, I was having a trouble with that one word, Quinn, and yeah. then in Dr. Riddle's latest, uh... Uh, word magazine Hmm. unless there's another one i haven't heard it but it's 117 and also on his blog he has the notes for it where he literally goes word by word in the latin gives you the parsing and shows you why he translate the way he translated it and i would agree i'm not you know a latin scholar and neither is he but the latin we do know i would totally agree with him and i texted him and told him that, that i agree with his translation of Beza. Um, that he restored it from a manuscript of good antiquity, and and, and the, the exact what the exact translation is on his blog, but yeah, um, again, this is that's a pretty new translation. No one's ever um, really even talked about that translation much at all, anyway. Right, and and that seems to be sort of the theme is that a lot of these uh, the 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 men during the
0: Reformation period that were putting together they were collating these 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 Greek New Testaments. Um, the way that that because their their integrity is attacked, there's all these ad hominems getting thrown around. No one has no one really cares what they have to say, and you'll you'll see you'll see the the scholars kind of brushing them off and saying, oh well, they were, you know, uh, they were wrong. We were talking about C.S. Lewis's, you know, uh, calling that chronological snobbery, basically where you think because you have all this new information today that you're more correct than people of old and. And that seems to be, in a, in a sort of way, what's happening is, is like, no, we know better. We, we we have more information. We're smarter in the, this kind of thing. And that's the post enlightenment worldview in itself, right? And <clears> so, <throat> so they go after Beza, they go after Stephanus. You know, which tr are you going to pick? Well, they don't disagree a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and whenever you can flip an argument on its head, it's not a good argument. If if I would just say, okay, which twenty, which of the twenty eight editions of the Nestle text do you want? Because they're very different. Uh, and, which
1: UBS 5 the corrected one or the non-corrected one right
0: and which ESV I mean, you, you can go down the list and you can flip that argument all over on its head mm-hmm. uh, and, and you can just point it back you can point the mirror back and mm-hmm. it's it's not a great argument mm-hmm. um, and, and, and and there's finally I think on, on this one using kind of the popularist level arguments the, the final one that you see a lot is conflating TR advocate position with KJV onlyism it's in, it's in this book, um, this exegesis <coughs> book that basically every single se- you know major seminary endorses outside of Puritan Reformed. Basically, uh, they endorse this, and it, and it conflates. It says that it's dangerous, um, that it's KJV onlyism, uh, but but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. I mean, in theory, if if you could produce a better translation from the TR uh, of of a than the KJV, then maybe I'd consider it. Um, but I just think the KJV is a really great translation of the TR. Mm-hmm. um there there's not a need for another one uh, in my opinion but no. but but we're not i'm not opposed to it yeah. uh, uh if someone there there are other bibles that that i would you know consider god's word or translation of god's word and from mm-hmm. the greek the geneva um you have uh, uh the uh, what am i looking for the mev um of course modern english version yeah. modern english version there's a couple of interesting translations in it but um so so that that goes into New King james is good yeah, the New King James, I've got a, you know, that's the first really Bible I read through. Yep, me as well. So, uh, any other
1: thoughts on that, like kind of the popularist, popularist level? Well, the one that's uh, uh, Dr. James White just said it on his podcast. That's where, right. He, where he held, up the, uh, he held up the TR and he said, um, Scribner's TR, the one that's put out by Trinitarian Bible Society. And he said, uh, which one is, it? is this the one that you hold to? Well, this is a fake TR, he said. Uh, if I'm misquoting, obviously correct me, but I think right. it was to the effect that this is a fake TR because this is the King James Bible in Greek. And he's not meaning that it's a back translation from uh, English into Greek necessarily, but he's saying that um, this, in essence, is not its own text. Uh, you can't say this is the, the the TR because Scrivener looked at the King James and basically just found Greek readings to fit it. and that And that's a conflation of what he did. That's not at all what actually happened. You read the preface, and I really wish the Trinitarian Bible Society had republished his preface with it, um, Scrivener's preface with it, and maybe they yeah. are in the new edition that they're coming out with. Yeah. Um, but if you go and read his preface, he explains the whole thing. I mean, we, we, we put in a bunch of quotes. I, I don't think we really have time to read all of them, but um, f- look up the preface to the 1881 uh, Scrivener. Tr. And read through the preface of what he's explaining. He's doing the majority of the time he's he's following Beza, but he he goes and talks about how the composite nature of the King James itself, and how there's times that they're following you know um, the Tyndale reading, or the times they're following other readings where they are based on Erasmus or other things. Um, all these trs that are floating around at the time. Um, they're the, the, all, everything that's in here is based on a, uh, a, a printed edition uh, reading it's not just out of thin air they're just making this up he said right. whenever he saw that the King James reading was uh, different than Beza he'd go okay where were they translating this from oh okay they're doing the 1551 Stephanus or the 1550 Stephanus or um, he, he would find it and put it in there and it's not what, what it's usually called to be the, the King James in Greek and, and cetera. that's a it's just it's just not accurate. I don't know if uh, people when they say it are miscommunicating or if right. they're um, you know purposely trying to do something. But either way, it's a miscommunication. That's in fact not what this is. So and
0: we're, and we're trying. I mean, I, we're trying to be as charitable as possible. Uh, just a lot of these popularist level. Arguments are, are they, they seem to border on dishonest. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of cases, I think it's I think that knowing what Scribner did with with his text and calling it a, a Greek a Greek KJV, it, it, it's it's very you know border like I said, bordering
1: dishonesty. Uh, and, and and I know from our perspective, especially my own, when yeah. I, I would repeat that kind of stuff. Because yeah, I've said that the, in, the I've people, said that a hundred times. Yeah, the people I look up to. Yeah at the time were, you know, saying that very thing, and I was getting that information from them, and I was just ignorantly repeating yeah. uh, something as fact because of, and it goes back to authorities, and, and we're going yep. to get back you know more into that as well, that, um, you know, everyone has an authority uh, as to what the epistemological foundation for our faith is. We're going to say it's God's Word. Okay, now what is God's Word? Well, We don't go outside of God's Word to try to find what the epistemology for understanding God's Word is. Right. We're going to stick with God's Word, um, when we 're forming what god 's word is,
0: and, and even even I mean if it, most people that are familiar with presuppositional uh, epistemology uh, w- would agree with that in yeah. uh, and, and every area but the text <clears throat> of scripture. Um, and, and so the next reason I think that people are, are moving towards a traditional text position is because it 's confessional. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, go to the confession in uh, chapter one doesn 't matter if you 're reading Westminster or uh, the London Baptist Divines. Um, do you want me to
1: read it, or you want to read it? I can read it. Okay, cool. Um, paragraph 8 of the London Baptist Confession of Faith, and it's identical to the Westminster, as you just said, says, The Old Testament Hebrew, which was the native language of the people of old of God of old, and the New Testament in Greek, which at the time of the writing of it, was most generally known to the nations, being immediately inspired by God and by his singular care and providence, kept pure in all ages, are therefore authentic. mm. So th- that's the main thing when we're talking about the confessional text, and I, I would hold to that terminology. Yeah. Uh, TR Advocate's fine. Uh, traditional text is great. Ecclesiastical text, I think, has a, a few issues, but um, confessional text, I think, is the best way, right. and I think that's where Dr. Riddle uh, That's what stands. I prefer. Yeah.
0: Ecclesiastical text seems uh, a little bit bitey, yeah. um, as if we're appealing to some sort of authority that which, which Baptist pope are you going to point to? <laughs> um, but the uh, but oftentimes the, the, basically that, that the confessional, confessional position, it, well, who's, who's to say that your interpretation of chapter of paragraph eight, um, uh, means what you think it means, uh, pure in all ages. How, do, how does that equate with our position? Uh, well, look at what they thought it meant. You know, you can look and then, and well, there's attacks on that too. Well, mm. well, you don't know what they meant or you're misinterpreting them. But, but, I mean, you can just put it this way. Uh, pure in all ages, I would say, means pure in all ages. That means that the, the transmission of the text was
1: also had a component of providential preservation in it. And, and, you, and yeah, Just like Turta and everybody and, yeah. and uh, John Owen, the, exactly what you're saying. It's not just the autographs. Right. Which are... Which is what the yeah, Chicago Statement of Inerrancy right, right. would say. And, and that's what, you know, with B.B. Warfield, there's that, sh- that shift... And then answering, Neo orthodoxy, there was mm-hmm. the Chicago Statement of Biblical Inerrancy, where mm-hmm. they don't believe that their ESV or their NASB or their NA28 or anything like that is inerrant. Right. The original, insofar as they reflect the original autographs, they're inerrant. Yeah. So the, the original autographs were inerrant, whereas Turretin, um John Owen, um, Petrus von Maastricht, um, a lot of these uh, solid post-Reformation divines hmm. um, Held that not just the autographs but also the apographs yeah. were uh, and are uh, authoritative and inerrant and inspired. Um, yeah. They would actually use the term infallible, and I I go on that side as well. I, I kind of reject the term inerrant not because of the teaching underneath it, but because of what it now represents, which is the autograph.
0: Right, and, and, and so I, that's I th- what pure knowledge is. I think that the argument basically that 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 the the, the confessional text position is somehow misinterpreting paragraph 8 of chapter 1. I, I don't think it's a necessarily strong argument, um, because the, the framers of the confession, they believed that way. Uh, oftentimes it, it, it's been said that, well, they didn't have all the data that we have. Uh, I think Dr. White used um, 1 100th one to 1 1,000th one of the data that we have today. Uh, but even that, I mean, where is that number coming from? Uh, yeah, how,
1: how can you substantiate that? Just based on what we have now, that right. we know that they didn't have, right? But we don't know what they had, and and it's it, it seems a a little bit
0: interesting to say because we know even since uh who was it Dan Wallace that's going around taking pictures of uh yeah yeah of everything even since the 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 manuscripts were cataloged
1: right mm. um manuscripts have gone missing yeah he he's actually talked about that at length yeah. and why it's so important what he's doing and and you know yeah. when he's giving these talks about what his uh I think it's the Center for New Testament Manuscript Study Research, something like that. Yep. Anyway, look up Dan Wallace and what he's doing, and you can go online and read all the manuscripts online and, and high res digital. It's it's an awesome thing what he's doing, but he he has spoken himself that you know manuscripts that are cataloged and have microfilm and have the information that's been taken and used for different mm-hmm. editions of the critical text of the NA twenty eight, NA twenty seven, twenty six, all that um he's actually finding now are either severely damaged or are completely gone due to war uh thieves fires like he, he goes into all this stuff how or just the library just doesn't keep the manuscripts very well they just kind of toss them on a the shelf like he was talking about he's like i'm literally like blown away by how some of these uh li- libraries treat their manuscripts but anyway as to your point you know some of what you know even has been uh considered part of the modern critical text and, and uh, the, the evidence for it and what we have. Some of that we actually don't have anymore.
0: Yeah. It's, so it's, it's a strange claim to say that, that we have more information now. And obviously the papyri uh, have added a significant number of data points to our mm. data set. Uh, but I mean, you can argue how significant was the papyri. Uh, you, you have you have Elden J. Epp, who seems to disagree with yeah. Doctor White, and, and he is a, a, he's a very credentialed text critic. Um, calls the, the from 1930 to 1980 when we found most of the the, the two huge papyri caches. Uh, he, he called that an interlude period where you know that that wasn't the main event. Mm. of text criticism, the, the main event seemed to be the unseals. When, when those were published, that was really what gave, gave the modern uh, critical method its grounds to do what it did. Mm. Uh, and, and so now we're kind of waiting. I think the next main event's probably going to be CBGM. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe something like that. But the the papyri kind of disproved Westcott and Hort's theory about Vaticanus, and uh, it actually kind of did a lot of... It, it made the, the modern critical um, the, uh, theory... Uh, have to change shift you know they had to re readjust and about text families and text families uh they found that the byzantine the Byzantine text family was earlier than they thought it was they was it was
1: well represented within the papyri yeah.
0: very well represented within the papyri uh so you know back to our point of it being confessional uh, i i don't think it's a it's a it's a great leap to say that it is confessional to hold to the confessional text position. Uh, or, um it's not unconfessional mm. to to uh, uh basically to to hold to the confessional text position mm. uh it, it's strange to me that you would say that it's not confessional that that you'd be surprised that reformed believers are are Really attracted to this position because they don't want a Bible that changes every year. Mm. Uh, That that seems a little bit contradicting. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't seem very. It doesn't really comport with the idea pure in all ages, right? Um, And and you have John Calvin, Turretin, John Owen, Matthew Henry. They were all aware of these variants um, outside of the longer ending of Mark because that Mm. didn't really come into contestation until uh, Vaticanus and Sinaiticus, which are the only two that's missing. Yep. (laughs) And uh, you know you, the, the they interact with all. of the, You can go read Calvin's commentaries, Matthew Henry. They all deal with them. Turretin at length. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were gonna, you said we were gonna quote some, but I don't think we have time today. No,
1: I mean, but yeah, you just if you and you don't even have to purchase Matthew Henry; it's free online. It's free on, so is For, Calvin. So is I Calvin. Think. Uh, yeah, read, read through their commentary um, on the New Testament, and you're going to find them interact with all of the major variants yeah um and even guys before and after them continue to do so we have a bunch of quotes by jc ryle where even in the late 1800s around the time that all this stuff's taking place right um the the new revised version and and Westcott Hort's new text um are he, he deals with all the evidence and says it's not a good idea to uh he says basically better to be safe than sorry and and Keep the text and, and affirm the pericope adulteri and all those kinds of things, but he you know the point is it says they this is the tradition of of the reformed men and this is the thinking of the reformed men whose whose epistemology we can trust. So when we talk about yeah. authorities, well I'd rather be confessionally authoritative, like have my authority be the confession and the men who founded that and their theologies are that than. Um, People have no confession of faith, and then the confession of faith is void in the Moltmans and the Boltmans and the, and the uh, Barts and the Airmens, and you know, I, I'm, I'm good. A, I'm good on that. You know, um, yeah. I mean, even right now, uh, Doctor Stephen Pisano is—if is, I butchered that Italian name, I'm sorry—is um, is, is uh, on the NA28. He's a Jesuit scholar, Jesuit scholar. Um, same for uh, what is his name. Martini, he was in the, uh, he was there, I think he died recently, I'm not positive, but he was also a, a papist, he was also a Jesuit scholar, I mean, I, I have an issue with that, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, and, and, and so I, I think that, that maybe someone that holds the critical text position might hear that and say, see, look, separatist, fundamentalist, traditionalist, you know, and they might levy that accusation. But I I don't think that's fair. No. Um. You would have to say that being confessional itself is a traditionalist, fundamentalist, separatist position, which is crazy. Uh, and again, a lot of these popular level arguments, all they do is is to the man, right? You're you're a fundamentalist. You're a traditionalist. You are a slave to your tradition. It's like Three. okay, pro- King James
1: onlyist. King
0: James onlyist. Prove it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Prove it. We're we're an are in- we're, we're an in. We're technically non-denominational. A- agros though we hold to the 1689 we're not a part of ARPCA, we're not a part of RBN um we haven't made that decision we're separatists, yeah. we're separatists we're independent independent i mean that's the nature of what baptist churches are You're right uh and so you'd have to prove that you'd have to prove that every single TR advocate is a somehow slave to their tradition uh i mean i i don't think that's the case well
1: and it's funny if you hold to you know when i when i carried around my ESV, and I would say the ESV I think is the best English translation available I wouldn't discredit other translations mm-hmm. and even now holding to, I think the King James is the best translation of the TR and there's no need to um, change that um, I would still say, you know, mm-hmm. NKJV and, and, and all these other things that have great translational value as well but it was fu- my point was, it's funny when you're carrying around the NA28 and you carrying around your ESV and you say what I just said the ESV is the best translation in my opinion um, I don't think you can do better than it, in my opinion, for you know what it serves. Uh, people don't go, yes, onlyest. onlyist. Um, yeah. But you, if you say that, you know, even about the King James, like when we're talking about, like, I think it's a great translation. I don't think it needs to be changed. Um, I don't think it needs to be messed with. I don't think it needs to be replaced um, yep. when you're talking about the TR. Um, and then they go, oh, you're King James only. So, no, I'm not. Um, yeah. I do not hold the King James to be my final authority. I hold the right. TR and the Masoretic text to be my final authority because right. – being confessional, the confession says that they were inspired, immediately inspired in Greek and Hebrew, not in English. And, and that that was some, I wrote an article uh,
0: that, that might be published on confessional bibliology, and, and I kind of talk a little bit about that, how uh, we we can't, if you hold to the TR advocate position or the confessional text position, don't go and, and, and stoop to the, that level of argumentation. Mm. Don't call them ESV onlyists, don't call them modern critical text onlyists. Uh, which, I mean, I think it's accurate in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you hear the kinds of argumentation coming from that side of, of the world. It's just switched. It's just it's just switched. You know, yeah. they 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 go so far as, like, in this textbook to say, don't even read the KJV. Don't think about the KJV. Or
1: NKJV. Which or well NKJV,
0: but the message. The message can be profitable. In the Living Bible, he speaks even higher of. And, 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 and see- the NLT. It seems crazy to me. It, it seems like a wild thing to do where you're so sold on the modern critical text uh, that you that you that you would say that you would hold the message and the NLT Over. above above the even the NKJV the NKJV is quite easy to read. Um, if you cannot read the NKJV, you you probably haven't. You can't uh, read the NASB you, or ESV. You probably can't read yet. So, it, you know, don't resort to resort, resort? Uh, resort to that kind of argumentation if you're a confessional text guy because th- they're looking for that. Mm-hmm. They're looking for you to be a fundamentalist and and to be a KJV onlyist and, and, and
1: start calling James White a demon and unsaved. Yeah, I mean, we don't, do not we do
0: not think no. that. Uh, like we we opened our podcast up. Doctor White's been so instrumental to both of us. Uh, he he believes in the preservation of the text. It's it's more so where we land that's that's different. And the methodology of how to do yeah. that. You know,
1: getting there, the methodology, and ultimately the product. We, we yeah, we realize that Dr. White. You know, we we re- we recognize your work that you have written books on sola scriptura that you have defended right. before I was even born. I think you just said on your on your divine line today. Right. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I. You've been doing this a lot longer than I have, and, and you've you've stood in battles that I have yet to even see, yeah. um, and and I respect the the work that you've done in that, and I respect the work that um, you're continuing to do in that. Mm-hmm. It's, it, but when it comes down to the difference between a confessional position and a uh, modern critical position, whether you're you know Doctor White or Dan Wallace or anyone else, whether you call yourself reformed or not, um, is that. The methodologies are completely different, and because the methodologies are completely different and the the appeals to authority are completely different, you land at completely different places where you have two texts that are not the same, um, where you can't look at a page of the TR and a page of the NA28 and not find multiple, multiple differences. And, you know, obviously a lot of them can't even be translated into English. A lot of them um, don't make a whole lot of difference, but they're different. Right, and, and some of them do make a big and, difference. And, and, and that's kind of the
0: appeal that you hear often. I think Dr. White briefly uh, brought this up on his podcast the other day, uh, that, that theologically between the TR and the, uh, the NA28, um, theologically you get the same thing out of it. Uh, and, and while that mostly is true, it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, was, I, was, I remember I was a freshman at Arizona State University, and I was a baby Christian, and uh, I, I took a class called "Lost Christianity's Lost Gospel." Uh, Emerson was teaching the class, mm. and uh, I, I thought I was just getting into something, you know, Christian. I thought it was it was a Christian part of the Christian Studies program, I guess. I don't, but but I thought I was going to be, you know, learning Christian truth or something. I don't know why I thought that because it was <laughs> called Lost Christianity. You know? But but you know Bart Ehrman was the textbook, mm-hmm. uh, and Elaine Pagels. And Elaine Pagels was the textbook. And I remember sitting there and being told that you know Mark was the earliest gospel. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting there and, and being told that because the ending of Mark wasn't there, that essentially there was no resurrection account, um, and essentially the earliest Christians didn't believe in a, a resurrected Christ. And looking back on that now, I, I see how devastating. Mm-hmm. A simple difference in one variant can be: mm. um, you lose the longer ending of Mark, you lose uh, the God Man, mm. you lose the resurrected Christ, because on that foundation, if if the earliest gospel doesn't have a resurrection account, uh, then the earliest Christian didn't believe Christ resurrected. Right. And and so That's Matthew, problem. and and then you know this goes into Bart Ehrman's whole uh, methodology with with Walter Bauer. Bauer's thesis and this idea that that orthodoxy was being pumped out of the Roman church and Jesus was was the the Christology was developed over time Mm. and you know you go on and there's all sorts of nuance and it starts with the the foundational understanding um, uh, that's built upon one variant and and expansion of piety and it it all fits into a whole system but you lose that one variant you don't have a risen Christ Uh, and and that kind of goes into our next topic is the um, reason that people are moving towards a traditional text a confessional text position is because the the critical text position has a lot of internal inconsistencies Mm. Uh, so the first one um, uh, we talked a little bit earlier dane and i wrote my a, a large portion of my paper on this but maybe dane you can talk to the idea that if anyone can reject a particular reading what does that result in like a cannon within a cannon. Oh know, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: We were talking about that. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you essentially have um, it's kind of like a goosebumps, choose your own ending thing. We've talked about that where it's yeah. um, if and you've used this on Sunday school a ton at our church. Yeah. Um, if you have, you know, you can't see them right there. But anyway, okay. There's there's uh, Warfield's uh, works. Um, if uh, I said, I have the complete works of Warfield. We know what the canon of Warfield is. It's those volumes right there, and we have all the titles right there. And then you pull one down because you want to see what Warfield says, and lots of pages are missing, or maybe it's just the book cover. <laughs> uh, you know? Uh, okay, well, that's great that you know the names of the books. Right. What is in them is what's important. So that, that dichotomy, and you see this in, in modern text criticism, the, the separation of canon and text, and the confessional position brings that back together and says, no, canon and text are are, are inherently uh, married. They're inherently joined uh, and, and can't be separated without doing a lot of damage to the position itself and the authority of scripture itself. That um, if the longer ending of Mark is to be rejected, uh, what else in Mark is to be rejected? I mean, you, you begin to have you choose your own uh, ending, choose your own Bible um, and, and I kind of operated off that when I, when I, um, yeah, it was, was, you know, preaching through first John when I was using, uh, my NA 28 and my UBS four or five, I, I, I operated that very way. Um, I consulted the, the, the apparatus, um, and, and using commentaries and everything kind of decide what I thought would be the best reading. Usually I end up, if I deviated from the, uh, NA 28, I usually went with a TR rating to be perfectly honest, because not because I really even understood why, but it was because the commentaries I was using um, are mostly older commentaries, and yeah, it's it made more sense to say what they said anyway. That you know, but when you have the canon within a canon, you, you it comes with a lot of issues. It comes with a lot of right. confusion. I mean, in, in
0: theory. It, within that model, like let's just say, I mean, let's use Second Peter three ten as an example. There, there, mm-hmm. there's a conjectural emendation provided by CBGM mm-hmm. by the modern critical method. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which apparently is supposed to be the most consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, that adds a word ooh, uh not. Uh, into the the text, yep. uh, your ESV won't read that because someone, some Christian probably was like, "Yeah, that's not acceptable. We can't we can't have that big of a change." Mm. Um, so some some head editor was like, "Yeah, we're not doing that." Uh, but if if you're allowed to reject that, mm. what what gives you the right to say that I'm not allowed to accept every reading in the TR? Mm.
1: Um,
0: what what's you know if I apply that same methodology to how I Put strip, strap together my Bible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I just select all of the readings that are found in the confessional text. Uh, I don't see how you can have a problem with that. Mm. Um, if you're if you're allowed to in, on an individual basis, say I reject this reading, I accept that reading. Mm. Who are you to to critique someone that accepts all the readings of a particular Greek text? Uh, and that, that seems
1: to be. You know, the inconsistency there, That's the yeah.
0: inconsistency. Uh, and further, you have... I mean, everyone gets to pick their own Bible.
1: Yeah. And you actually see this... Jeff, Dr. Jeff Riddles addressed this on one of his many uh, word magazines. Right. Um, 117 now, so you have to sift through there. Um, but he talks about how... I think it maybe it was when he was doing his Tyndale... Uh, the Tyndale Greek New Testament Review he talked about how he he predicts that that's going to be a theme that we see a lot just like with publishing houses every time they want to come out with a study bible Mm -hmm. or you know use instead of paying you know when they come out their authors come out with books having to pay royalties to NIV well just make a new one so that way we don't have to do that Um, you're going to see not just publishing houses doing that with translations Mm -hmm. but also doing that with their own Greek text so every publishing house is going to have its own text and its own translations from that text yep um and and I could see how that would definitely be, and I think the Tyndale Crossway Greek Testament um, is is a step in that direction. And that's actually kind of frightening that you know every seminary is going to have have its own text, every uh, denomination might have its own text, every church has its own text, mm-hmm. and then and then the unity completely collapses at that point. Which goes into I think probably the final point we can touch on
0: is that because. There, there isn't a consistent set of rules that you can apply to, you know, implement this methodology consistently, right? The fact that you've got a ton of different Greek texts now available that people are all calling God's word, mm-hmm. um, with very different readings, uh, you know, and Dr. White kind of said that he rejects the reading at one John one eighteen in the Tyndale house, uh, mm-hmm. Greek Testament. Um, mm-hmm. but, but okay. Why, right. you know, what, what's, who are, are we all supposed to do that? Uh, who's going to tell me who's going to tell the 47 year old mom of two, which readings to reject. Mm. Who's going to tell the 17 year old who just came to Christ at a, at a youth, you know, a young life camp, which readings to reject. Yeah. Um. Which Bible do they have in their hand? You know, how, well, what's that going to do to a new believer or even uh, an older believer that, that has never heard of any of these issues uh that who who's distributing which readings are correct mm-hmm. and that kind of translate or you know transitions us into our last point which is that that you know the the accusation is kind of leveled against the confessional text position that it's very dangerous
1: mm. um it can't defend itself it, it can't, can't defend do its, can't do apologetics but it has to stay within its own little confines and yeah. basically, you know, just high five each other and, and talk about you know, the Kama Yohan name and that's it. And and surprisingly when when I
0: interact with people online, um because believe it or not, the confessional text position is actually quite minority. Mm-hmm. I don't I mean, that's crazy though. Uh yeah. Uh, I, mean, I mean there's there's, there's,
1: do, there's literally dozens of us. <laughs> but I mean, you, you can't really, like... If you have a conference that's coming up, we could probably fit them all in a, a bus. Yeah, we could we all ride the bus together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk about it. Um, the, the, the
0: crazy thing is, all you have to do online to start a debate is say that you read a KJV. Mm-hmm. That's all you have to do. Uh, you, you don't even have to say that, you, like... You could post a KJV next to an ESV, and they're like, are you a KJV-onlyist? It's literally happened mm-hmm. to me.
1: It, Why it, do you have a KJV? You I know. had
0: to post a, a picture of a stack this big of of modern translation Bibles to prove that I wasn't a KJV onlyist. I was like, you know, full of goat skin and calf skin high quality Bibles. I'm like, see, I'm not a KJV onlyist. You know, <laughs> you, you've got to have your hands up, but 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 in taking the what I know about the text into Facebook groups, Reformed Facebook groups, and you bring and and they'll 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 use you know, sorry to uh, kind of make and make this into a word but whiteian arguments <laughs> um and that's not to be insulting but but just the arguments that come from Dr. White mm-hmm. uh the second that I that I point them to the KJV only controversy I think it's page 37 where where there's there's just missing footnotes um missing sources on footnotes and you point that out to them and they're like wait what and and you can actually do apologetics against the critical text by just pointing to going ad fontes mm-hmm. to the sources and showing this didn't happen. This story's not real. Mm-hmm. This is not the scholarship that you're looking for. Um, <laughs> and and you know in 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 all my time watching Dr. White um, I, I haven't ever seen him be so militant against the translation until very recently. I mean in fact when I was listening to some of his older stuff on Mormonism, he actually recommended that I use the KJV for apologetics
1: and NKJV
0: and because yeah. when you're talk, talk, talking to Mormons, they already have problems. You know, God, you know, God, God's God's word is true. in so far as it's translated correctly, yeah. um, you know, you, you go down that road. Okay. So in, in, Mormon apologetics, you kind of have to use the KJV in a lot of ways. You don't have to, especially with the way that Mormonism is going, but you get what I'm saying. You know, I was actually informed. The reason I bought my first KJV Bible was because of Dr. White, actually. Mm -hmm. I bought a a Schuyler Canterbury calfskin because of Dr. White. Because he said, hey, if you're going to do, you know, all of the, the memorization, he has like a 100 verse memorization system that I was working through in the KJV. You know, so it, it it seems like recently there's just kind of been a shift in thinking in in regards to that, and a lot of these Whitey arguments are very just pointed at the KJV, uh, and, and it it just seems very interesting. It's an interesting development.
1: Yeah, um, yeah I would agree. And 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 even if Doctor White, if yourself are not, you know, attempting to attack the KJV, which you, you know obviously have said a billion times, you're not. No, the, these right. these arguments are maybe even against what you would. Uh, want to happen being used by people who are hearing what you're saying and then just attacking, and that's not necessarily even you know any kind of right. critique. I'm just saying this is what's happening. That's what we mean when we say Whiteian. Um, they, yeah, they people are, are using your arguments yeah, in uh, crazy in yeah, crazy yeah. ways. Yeah, uh, um, but yeah, to say that it can't be, I would definitely disagree with Doctor White's assessment on that. That you can't use the, you lose all meaningful grounds for apologetics uh, when you hold to a confessional text position right. or, or consider the TR to be. Uh, the you know this one is you know, I'm gonna choose this one. It's better to say uh, I don't see how it's better to say you know when you're standing before the Muslim or the atheist or the Jehovah's Witness or anything to bring a pile of of, of you know what are, you gonna, are we gonna bring the the Dizio Critica Mayor and it's like 15 volumes or whatever it's gonna be and, and bring them through that? Are we gonna you know bring all 28 editions of the of the Nestle Allen? You know I I, I don't see how that's a better uh, starting point than than this, um, yeah. you know, I, I could even say I could even say you know I'm not even saying this is necessarily better right now. I'm not making that argument. I'm just saying that how is how is that better than this? Right. I'd rather have one text that I'm going to work from and, and get somebody to to engage with me on that level rather than getting caught in all these other arguments. Right. Especially as a presuppositionalist, we believe that um, it's the, it's the spirit of God and a reformed person, it's the spirit of God that's going to. Um, open the, the, the blind eyes and the deaf ears and turn the heart of stone into a heart of flesh and bring somebody to fa- saving faith in Christ anyway. So mm-hmm. it's not our argumentation from you know the thousands of textual variants that are relevant to um, Mormon apologetics or Muslim apologetics or anything like that. Well,
0: it's interesting, I think. So Bonson <clears throat> and, and Cy, Tim, Brigham, Kay, and Kate, and you have this idea that you do not want to give your opponent the gun mm-hmm. and I, I think um, what, what might be a misunderstanding is, is that the the if you go to some of the Muslim apologetic sites actually mm. they they have videos of Dr. White saying he um, uh, talking about textual variants because they think that that's proof Muslim by choice I think has Muslim a lot by there. choice has a lot of them uh, they think that that's proof that our Bible's fake mm. that that it's not real and, and when you tell someone, yeah, I can't decide upon a reading here. Uh, that's all the proof they need that the Bible's not true, mm. and, and I, I think in a lot of ways, when you bring the critical text, you know, which one uh, you, to use your, you know, the the argument back at you guys, yeah. uh, you know, that's which tr? Well, which Nestle Aland? Um, yeah. To kind of put that back, when you bring that into the apologetic realm, and and you say, well, I I can't, you know, I reject this. You just don't understand. You know, you need you need to be studied. You need. That kind of defeats the purpose of a, of a faithful apologetic. Uh, you know, the point of presuppositionalism is that you need scripture. Yep. The, you don't need to learn. You know, you, t- you, you listen to guys like Saiten and uh, who say like you don't. I I you know you don't need to spend eight hours learning about geo rock layers. Mm. Um, you shouldn't have to have a Ph.D. level understanding of textual criticism to go do apologetics to a Mormon or a Muslim. And, and and that, I think, is is one of the um, really large critiques of the modern critical text position, is that mm-hmm. that the layman doesn't know these things. Doesn't need to. So does that mean the layman can't do apologetics? And uh, I, I think in a large way, yes. I think you have to say that if, if you're yeah. not learned on all so, those so textual who,
1: variants. Who can be an apologist? There has to be a, you know... He gave some to be uh, evangelists, you know, pastors, teachers, and apologists. You know, like, there has to be a separate office. Like, that's not... I'm not saying anyone's saying that. just... If we're going to go down that road of, you know, you need to have all this knowledge of the textual variants, or you cannot... um, uh, engage with a, with a Muslim, I'm sure there's lots of, of, of lay people all the time that are having fruitful conversations with Muslim neighbors or Muslim yeah. co-workers or Muslim family members and winning them to Christ using, whether it be an ESV, an NASB, a, a KJV, an NKJV, an NLT, who knows, um, and, and winning them to their position, obviously by the power of the Holy Spirit, from whatever version having no idea about textual variance right um and i'm not saying you shouldn't be read up on these things that's not what we're saying we're not saying hey close your mind off but the average person's not going to know uh you know how many papyri pieces we have or uh, the the differences between uh you know coherence based genealogical method and uh, the confessional text methodology um the goal is to equip the saints as pastors. And, and, and first and foremost, uh, Taylor and myself are, are working pastors. Yeah. We, we seek to minister to our people. We seek to equip our people week in and week out, every day of the week, um, but especially in our teaching and preaching. And so, what we teach and preach from um, is of utmost importance in that regard. And if we hmm. do not know what we're teaching or what we're teaching out of, um, how can we know what we're even teaching? And how can they trust what we're teaching?
0: Right. And then that's ultimately what it comes down to for us. I think it's the pastoral application. We actually have gone through a 16, 17-week now series
1: on canon and textual criticism. (laughs) I think it's the third one. Your wife said, I'm standing there with my UBS 4 going, the Pericope is not scripture, giving all the arguments for why the Pericope is not scripture. You can actually hear in in our course us uh changing to that position right the, and
0: but but it's because of modern text criticism that we've had to spend 16 17 weeks on this stuff yeah um, covering the same kind of stuff the over and same over. stuff over and over and over again we have mm-hmm. uh, I had someone call me the other day having a crisis of faith because they thought there was just one Greek, there was thousands of the same Greek manuscript. Mm -hmm. There was over 5,000 of the same Greek full New Testament manuscript. And when they found out that there were differences in the KJV and the ESV that they were doing a Bible, they were looking side by side and they said, this is different. Um, And not just in these and those, but literal different. Uh, And he was like, he was like, dude, I'm like losing my mind right now. What is going on here? I Mm -hmm. thought we had like thousands of the same text and blah, blah, blah. He's like, I didn't know they were different. And there was nothing that could that could, you know, give him confidence in the word of God other than saying, "Well, well yes, God has preserved His word this way." Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think telling someone that God has not yet preserved His word, well, practically fine tuning it, fine tuning it, or, like, it or it. we don't have a conclusive text yet, but God's preserved all the pieces. Yeah. Um, that that's not pastorally applicable.
1: You know, if you tell somebody we have a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle with. Um, a thousand one hundred pieces, as is commonly said. Yep. Um, that, how's that helpful pastorally? And and you know, uh, we'll help you sift through it. You know. No, right. how about God preserves His Word? He gives you a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle with a thousand pieces. Yep. And it's put together for you.
0: Yep. And
1: and and, and
0: in trying to defend that, you get called a traditional fundamentalist separatist. Uh, you get called the KJV onlyist. Uh, Tr onlyist. Tr onlyist, which by the way is not a thing. Um, there is nobody that that only reads the Tr. Well, maybe actual Greek believers. Yeah, probably. yeah. <laughs> so they're Tr onlyists, yeah. probably. Yeah, the Greek uh,
1: Orthodox. Uh, they, you know, they chant that in there. Yeah. So, so maybe maybe there song.
0: are Tr onlyists, yeah. but not Americans. We're too dumb. Yeah. Uh, unlike our histor our heritage, we don't know three languages by the time we're fifteen. No. Yeah. Um. So I probably won't know three by the time I'm fifty. Yeah. <laughs> you already know. Get out of here. Uh, the the point is that that instead of being unified and instead of trying to come together and, and and figure this stuff out in order to to even read the KJV in this climate right now mm. you you have to bear the the weight of all the insults of being called a KJV only it's a
1: traditionalist a fundamentalist but um, but the ESV if you read the ESV or an NASB you don't have to deal with that it's so weird right like like you said earlier you you post a picture of a KJV or some, you know, or you're preaching from a KJV, and they're like, Are "You preach from the KJV." I'm like, "Yeah, I, th- I think it's the best translation." Oh, well, your KJV only. I read
0: a textbook that told me that you shouldn't preach from the KJV, so therefore, yeah. you know, and and you have this is what you have to deal with. Um, it, at the end of my article, I wrote that I, I think that we need to stop with the ad hominem and the genetic fallacies and the poor argumentation, and and I think if there is going to be a serious conversation about this stuff. You have to deal with the sources. You have to deal with, with what the actual debate is about. And, and so I think like the last thing I really have to say is if you're watching this and you are a... a you know Probably most people that are watching this have no idea what we've been talking about for the last hour. Yeah. But I mean, if you yeah. do understand anything we're talking about... And that's what I actually quickly, quickly note. Or a quick note. I bring this stuff up with my Christian friends. And, and I'm just like, yeah, so I was dealing with this thing the other day. And they're like, what are you even talking about? And I, and I talk for 10 minutes on there, like, yeah, I don't care. Yeah. That is the average litmus test. Like, that is what most people believe about this topic. So, um, if yeah, that's... we've even seen that with a lot of our,
1: our, our members. <laughs> yeah, they don't care. Church. They've sat through Sunday school kind of like twiddling their thumbs. They're like, yeah, I don't care. Well, and they'll just be like, okay, so are we, uh, you know, d- which Bible do you recommend I use then? And we're like, oh, NKJV or KJV. Like, we're going to preach from the KJV, read from the uh, NKJV. Um, but you know when we said that about the ESV, they wouldn't buy ESVs. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's they, like they're, they're just own... like they're like, which Bible do you want me to trust? And we're like, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Most well, most the average, I would say the average Christian is kind of just like, yeah, tell me what tell me what to, what what, to What's think. a good translation? Yeah, I just want to read my Bible like yeah. whatever whatever you're preaching from. I, I I just want you to have the same one. Um, and that... Robert
1: True Love t- says this a lot, and yeah. I would I would agree with with Brother True Love here, Pastor True Love, where he says. uh, uh, people will say, "Well, what Bible?" You know, and he says, "The Bible I recommend you read is the one you're going to read." Yeah, um, you know, whatever translation is that you're actually going to sit down and read, read that one. Yeah, um, amen. Yeah. So, so it's not to, I, I, if somebody's not going to read a KJV um, and or an NKJV, but they will read an ESV, read your ESV. You know, what yeah. I mean? and we can have a discussion after that. But yeah, don't uh, not
0: read your Bible like yeah. that. that Ultimately, right. Um, I, I mean, all, all the cards on the table. My wife reads ESV, so you know. yeah, mine too. Yeah. <laughs> we've been trying to work uh, on. We've I been mean, working yeah. on money, um, even. Um, no, a... But the whole point of that saying is, I think that there's a there's a the majority of Christians, Reformed Christians or semi Reformed Christians, uh, Calvinists, um, don't really care about this stuff. And, and so if that's you, then then go listen to Jeff Riddle and James White to kind of get the, the conversation put into perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll, they'll, you'll hear enough about it flying back and forth that you'll be like, oh, okay, this is a, this is a real thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I promise you we didn't just make up a controversy just now. Mm-hmm. Uh, b- but to the person that's following, um, mm-hmm. to the person that's following, uh, my, my recommendation in the article that I wrote was that we stop using these poor methods of argumentation. If we're going to actually get anywhere. Uh, Stop calling people that like the KJV, KJV onlyists. And only if they're actually KJV onlyists, then use that insult. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, And and same from the TR guys. Stop calling James White a devil. Um, That's not helpful. That's not, that's actually
1: slanderous and and, and not honorable. And and he's an apologist. He was an elder in a church for years and years.
0: Yes. He's still an elder. I mean, he was ordained.
1: Yeah, he's an ordained.
0: He's an ordained minister. minister. So if, yeah, I mean, you, if I don't you, know if he's serving
1: as an elder, no, not not serving yeah. as an elder, but still. But either way, don't slander. Don't brother, slander, you know, don't slander. Don't slander fear. a father
0: in the faith. Yeah. Um. Not without reason, and and uh, or just don't slander him. Uh. If you have an accusation, do it properly. Yeah. Uh, it, and, we agree
1: with ninety nine percent of what he says, and then if, and then we differ here, though we think it's an important mm-hmm. and foundational issue. Right. And so does he. Doesn't mean we're you know all of a sudden now he's Satan. Uh, right. I don't. I don't see that.
0: Right, and you see a lot of the stuff going on in in yeah, the TR see, yeah. circles, like to the point where James White can't even join these groups, um, because because of the mud that gets thrown at him. Yeah, uh, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. So so both sides need to stop doing it, yeah. and that's really kind of the if you want to have a productive conversation, that's how it has to happen.
1: Yeah, and I think if because uh, I know debates have been proposed and there's been talks and even developments today mm-hmm. uh, with yeah. Doctor White and Doctor Riddle and. Uh, pastor true love talking about these things and like the, the debate that was proposed and stuff. But I mean, I think the, the found, we're going to have to come to a foundational you know, discussion first yeah. um, and, and figure out how the best way to move forward is. Um, and, 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 you know, Dr. White, please don't sit there and, and, and think that, um, you know, Dr. Riddle and, and pastor true love are, are copping out or anything like that. Not everyone is a trained debater and not everyone yeah. it, it knows how to debate Um, And I would agree that a lot of times in debates, uh, because I think you said in your Facebook post that in debates uh, during the cross-examination period is when you really can see if somebody's uh, logic is coherent or not. And and I would agree with that. Um, But, you know, it is a skill. You've, you've had years and years and years and hundreds and hundreds of debates. Um, It is a skill to learn how to debate. And a lot of us are just working pastors. Um, So let's find a way that we can talk through these issues um, and and let's move towards that. And And again, I would, I would totally agree with pastor, de here that you know we have to uh stop throwing mud stop you know whining and being babies about things and that's happening on both sides um mm. uh, of, of these groups um and, and and let's let's address it fairly let's see what the position actually is um and though we all think it's a very important issue and we all feel mm. strongly about it um let's realize that especially in the reform circles you know with, with you know presbyterians and baptists you know agree probably you know and then, you know, (laughs) who knows? Um, Depends on what kind of Baptist right? Yeah. Yeah. That's an episode for another time. Yeah. yeah, um, You know, but, you know, especially within the Reformed Baptist circles, you know, we're all going to agree pretty much on 99% of everything. So let's not, you know, get all mad at each other about this 1%. Absolutely. Let's, let's, Let's work through it as brothers in Christ. So I think, I mean, We could talk about this, and and we could address some more stuff later, but... Oh, we wanted to say, if this is something that we're if if this is something, if we've addressed some things in here and you want us to go through in this podcast, maybe some shorter episodes or um, whatever, going through uh, all of the major textual variants that are talked about. um, We obviously point you towards uh, stuff. Jeff Riddle has done. Uh, He writes tons of stuff. Go to confessional bibliology, the, the, the Facebook group and the website. They have tons of great articles, tons of great resources. Uh, Both he, both them and Dr. Jeff Riddle have tons of stuff. So you can find them on sermon audio. Um, that'll address these issues from a confessional yeah. text position. But if it's something that any, if any of you guys want to see that um, from us, uh, w- you know, we would be glad to do that. So if that's a something. yeah, Absolutely. Other that, but other than that, I don't know. I think we're good. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to the first agros church podcast in a very long time. Yeah. Uh, thanks for watching. And next time, I believe we're going to be talking about maybe 1689 yeah. federalism. Yeah. So covenant tune in theology. for that. Some, the different version the different variants of Baptist covenant theology. that's vanilla, here. chocolate, Neapolitan,
1: you know, all, mm, of, all, yeah.
0: all the above.: yep. All right, Thanks for tuning in you guys and we'll see you next time.: God bless.